And this week, we bring you the story of a boy who has a rather special relationship with his aunt. A connection so strong, it almost seems supernatural. But is this feeling just inside his head? Or just something we can't understand? Or maybe it's just another strange idea that we've put into your mind. Ask yourself this week if it's more than a feeling. Aunt Mary was always my favorite. My fondest childhood memories all seemed to include her. I'm sure tons of other cool things happened when I was a kid. My mom and dad were great people. They created an environment in our household that never permitted a bad moment. No arguments or deception. Just all the wholesomeness you'd expect growing up in a friendly suburban neighborhood in the late 70s. We were quite well off, and my parents had no qualms about spoiling me in part possibly because I was never a brat about it. At a young age, I was still mature enough to understand that it was somewhat abnormal to get the sort of gifts that I did and visit the extravagant places that we traveled to. I knew I was fortunate, but I never acted as if I should be entitled to anything. I was always grateful. Considering our stability and unique opportunities that were always within grasp throughout my adolescence, it's a tad peculiar that the only memories I can seem to salvage from that period are of my Aunt Mary. We connected on so many levels. Our interests in all things strange and unexplainable were something that my parents didn't necessarily disapprove of, just more like they didn't relate to. They could surround me with the newest toys and clothes, which again, I was thankful for, but I was never as beholden as when Aunt Mary appeared. She was an odd duck like a magician, often materializing without forewarning. Sometimes I might arrive home from school to find her in the parlor, reading a book while gently pulling on a Pall Mall from her drawn-out cigarette holder. Even the way she smoked was thrilling to me. I enjoyed watching her French inhale and blow small smoke rings toward the ceiling. She liked to wear a variety of interesting hats that seemed to shroud her features, only further adding to her mysteriousness. She dressed sharply, always donning patterns that were unique, fashion firsts, at least compared to what my parents and the other adults around us wore. She gave me books about ghost stories and spirits being caught between the afterlife and heaven. She told me of miraculous events she'd heard about from other like-minded people or that she'd researched herself. My mom was actually pretty upset when my Aunt Mary and I had our first discussion about death. I was only five years old and I had never brought up the subject before but it was like she knew we had this connection. She could tell I was like her before I'd even formed my own opinions about the world around me or my true interests. My mom was concerned that introducing a concept like death could create phobias or keep me up at night, contemplating when my own end might be or how it might come about. These morbid curiosities did in fact overrun my mind, but not in the manner my mother suggested. I never feared death. My Aunt Mary posed things to me in such a way that we examined them together and often debated possible outcomes. Between us, 
death did not seem like something to dread, but more like an adventure, the utmost unknown in humanity that we would one day finally become privy to. What a treat it would be to finally know. And until then, we would debate reincarnation, heaven, hell, and everything in between. It was just after my seventh birthday when my parents hosted a party at the house that would see a variety of people in our neighborhood break bread together and share in local gossip. I didn't much care for these gatherings because they always separated the kids from the adults. We would all be told to stay in the den and play with each other while the adults remained in the parlor chatting over a drink, which meant it was one of the only times Aunt Mary was at the house and I couldn't be around her. It felt like torture. I would sit almost outside of the play area and try to listen and see what Aunt Mary might say. Many of the other neighborhood children were enamored by the selection of toys and games, but I couldn't be more disinterested. I was able to peer around the doorframe and get a vantage point that would let me see most of the adults. Thankfully, Mary chose a seat in my line of sight, most likely because it had a maple-colored standing ashtray within arm's length. No one else in the room stood out to me until my Aunt Mary snubbed out her Paul Mall and began an odd sort of old parlor game that I'd seen her do only once before. The game consisted of her asking different partygoers for an item they possessed, any item. Then she would touch the article that they chose for a moment and tell them only something that they could know about it, like where they purchased it or what they had used it for, etc. But the most eerie part was that she was always right. The befuddlement on people's faces said it all. They were believers now. Even if they'd wanted to paint her as a kook out of jealousy of her gift, they were always too stunned to pull it off. Their expression told it all. It was probably my favorite thing I'd ever seen in my whole life, and therefore I was completely overcome with excitement. I had to pee really bad, but there was no way I could miss this. I pinched my legs together, exposing my childish smile. The anticipation outweighed any displeasure I felt. She began by approaching Miss Bartell, who lived at the end of our street and always seemed like a quiet and kind woman. You know, the sort that kept to herself. She didn't have any children that I knew of. And her husband, Marty, I would eventually learn, had passed away a few years before I was born. She removed a small white handkerchief from her purse and handed it to my Aunt Mary. Hopefully this is clean. <laughs> Aunt Mary joked with a smile, stealing a laugh from the crowd and Miss Bartell. She took a moment and looked down at her, becoming a little more serious. Marty's glad you still have this. He's glad you think about him still. Miss Bartell held her tears back, a mix of sadness and joy clearly overwhelming her. She eyed her next subject, moving toward the dapper, clean-cut Mr. Billings that sat beside the fireplace confidently with his legs crossed. I'm not quite sure who invited Mr. Billings to the party, as he was not from our neighborhood, nor a friend of the family. However, this friend of a friend seemed rather charming. I'd noticed earlier that Aunt Mary seemed to strike up a long conversation with him. It felt like she was showing more signs of interest in him than she tended to on any man. Maybe she had some sort of crush on him? Whatever the case, it was out of the ordinary. She beckoned him, using a gesture that suggested he choose an article for her to feel. She smiled at him, 
face painted slightly with blush. He seemed unamused by the game, but not aggravated. No, I think I'll have to pass on this one, Mary. I just can't think of anything to give you. He said with an almost English type of accent. Oh, come on, Tom. Just give her anything. Don't be a party pooper, said Mr. Hines, standing behind the coat rack across from the two. My apologies to all, but I'm afraid I simply don't have anything, he reiterated with a bit of tension building in his voice. Mr. Hines then grabbed a black leather glove that I could only assume was Mr. Billings hanging out of one of the coat pockets. Just use this, he said while tossing it at Aunt Mary. Mr. Billings didn't object, but studied Aunt Mary carefully as the glove touched her flesh. Suddenly, she yelled out. Her body stiffened, almost as if she'd been electrocuted for a moment. She dropped the glove to the ground, eyes wide and bulging. My aunt's typical in-control-of-the-conversation attitude had vanished. She now turned away from Mr. Billings quickly and looked at the group, which were all concerned, but even more curious. I'm not feeling well right now. I'm I'm just going to step away for a moment. Aunt Mary explained, clearly shaken. She never picked up the glove. She just exited the parlor and headed for the kitchen. My mother, clearly concerned, quickly followed behind her. I could hear them in the kitchen as she asked her if she was okay and what was wrong. Aunt Mary didn't really explain what had happened. She just reiterated that she wasn't feeling too well and asked if it would be okay if she spent some time with me away from the party. She stayed in the playroom with us kids for the rest of the evening. I tried with every shred of my at the time minimal intellectuality to reason with her, to get her to share with me exactly what the hell had just happened in the parlor that evening, but she wouldn't. She did tell me that I would understand someday, but that day couldn't be today. This was very unlike my Aunt Mary. This was the first and only question I'd ever asked her that she hadn't given me a completely transparent answer on. Two days later, my mom came into my bedroom crying hysterically. I was immediately injected with a horrible, gut-churning feeling. I'd never seen my mother cry before, and I just knew it was about Aunt Mary. Although my mom wouldn't tell me the whole story that day, she did tell me Aunt Mary passed away. I was crushed. My hero and one-of-a-kind spiritual companion had been taken from me. For a long time I was angry, but I didn't know who to be angry with, so I just buried it. With this bitter pill now stewing deep inside me, I did my best not to take it out on others. I know Aunt Mary wouldn't have liked that. She would have wanted me to be a good, respectable young man and share our mindset with others. Continue to find a way to humbly drive the conversations we had about life and death. I never forgot about Aunt Mary, but as I grew older I avoided talking about her as a way to cope with my grief and anger. I had my own thoughts on the subject. In my heart, I knew without a doubt it had to do with Mr. Billings. She was so disturbed by her encounter with him on that unusual night, that much was obvious to me. What did she see that evening? I constantly presented my theories to my mother, 
in an effort to get her to confirm or disregard my suspicions. As usual, she remained mum on the topic, neither agreeing nor denying, instead just repeating the same cryptic set of words that my Aunt Mary left me with. You will understand someday. I still thought about her every night, and as I became old enough to walk places by myself, I made it a point to visit her regularly. I left a fresh set of flowers on her grave at the end of every month. I would sit for a while, no matter how cold or how hot it was outside, no matter who I was supposed to hang out with that day, or if I had a date with a girl. Everything stopped at the end of the month at Northgate Cemetery. She was the only person I truly cared to remain popular with. I'd spend the first few moments telling her how much I loved her and missed her, recalling all the wacky moments that we shared together and things that were happening in my life now that I wanted to keep her updated on. I must have looked really weird to others, visiting their loved ones somberly as I laughed while conversing with their tombstone. Aunt Mary was different, though. They could never understand that we weren't afraid to die. We looked forward to it. For each question I asked her, and the current events I shared with her, I always received a response. Almost like her voice was in my head answering and commenting. I don't know if it was just me subconsciously filling in the blanks the way I remember she would talk to me or not. Maybe that was just my own way of coping with the grief of losing the person I related to most in life. Or maybe, just maybe, she was finding a way to communicate with me. I did find it strange that the only question I asked her that I didn't get a response to was around the last day that I saw her. When will I understand? You said I'd understand someday. I need to know what happened to you. I had to wait until my 16th birthday to know the entire truth of the matter, a little over nine years after her death. My mom sat me down with some old yellowed newspaper clippings in hand and a low-spirited look about her. She explained that on the night of the party, Aunt Mary had a passionate conversation with her once everyone had dispersed. She said that earlier in the evening, she'd been chatting with Mr. Billings and took a liking to him. They talked about maybe getting together for a date sometime after the party, after sharing some details about what they liked, where they worked, lived, etc. She continued to expound, claiming all that changed once his glove touched her hand. She described seeing a blinding light and a cold darkness beyond it, and within that darkness, she saw the same very glove wrapped tightly around the throat of a young boy, close to my age at the time. The vision rattled her profoundly, but she did her best not to display that. She wanted to avoid letting on her newfound awareness. Better Mr. Billings saw the game as a harmless charade than for him to consider that she knew a more sinister truth. She was certain that he was hurting children, and immediately her first instinct was to protect me. That's why she left the room and stayed beside me with the rest of the children until the evening concluded. When she told my mom at first, she didn't know what to think. It seemed crazy for her to believe everything just based off of Aunt Mary feeling a glove. She told my mom never to let him in the house again or near me moving forward, and if she did, Aunt Mary would be forced to never speak to her again. She wanted to go to the police immediately and report a complaint, but understood the validity of her vision would probably be criticized. My mother explained next that it was my father who interjected in the discussion. 
He found the whole argument to be quite far-fetched and wanted Aunt Mary to at least sleep on it a night before filing a complaint. Mr. Billings was a friend of friends, and he thought it might be in bad taste to accuse someone based on a vision alone. Aunt Mary disagreed and asked for a sheet of paper and a pen just prior to leaving. When she got into her car, she wrote down everything she'd experienced that night down to the finest detail. She set the note in an envelope and then placed it inside of her glove box. The next morning, neighbors discovered Aunt Mary's body in her car. She'd just finished parking in the driveway of her house when someone apparently blindsided her and strangled her to death. When the police searched the car, they found the note that she left detailing her suspicions about Mr. Billings. It didn't take them long to make their way to his house and execute a search. What they'd found was two boys in the basement of his house. One had been strangled, just as Aunt Mary had seen in her vision, and buried under a dirt floor in the basement. The other was found alive in a cage with a water and food bowl like you'd have for an animal. They'd been kidnapped from different towns that weren't too far from our own neighborhood. In the end, Aunt Mary had ended up giving her own life to save that boy and to protect me from a monster. When my mom finally broke it all down for me, she'd probably thought that I was old enough to handle some of the more ugly details, and maybe she hoped it would provide me a bit of closure. She wanted to try and answer some of the questions that she knew I'd never stop asking. But closure wasn't something that I was seeking. I didn't want anything about Aunt Mary to be final. She would always live on forever in my heart, and maybe in other ways too. A few days later, the end of the month was upon us once again. I found myself in front of her plot on our favorite holiday, October 31st, Halloween. This time I was looking down at her with a newborn respect, as if it was even possible to think she was cooler than I already did. Trick-or-treating together was one of the best memories I had with her, so of course I dressed up. I went to about 40 thrift shops, trying to find the same old glow-in-the-dark skeleton-matching outfits that we'd worn the last year she took me out. Except I'd done some growing since then. This time I would need two adult-sized costumes. After days of searching, I'd found a spookily similar outfit, damn near identical to the ones we'd had. The only difference with these costumes were that the bones were an orange color instead of a neon yellow. I suppose it didn't matter. Real bones were neither of those colors anyway. It was just getting dark when I got to her grave. I took out the second costume and laid it over her stone and began to sob. There was a new weight to why my aunt was here now. I wasn't expecting to get emotional, but I couldn't hold it back. Hey, what are you putting on her grave? A voice yelled from behind me. I suppose it did look a bit odd. I was dressed in full skeleton garb, putting a costume over a headstone. I thought it might be the groundskeeper at first, but the voice sounded too young. I turned around to see a young man of a similar height and age standing a few yards back. He seemed awfully protective of her grave, like he knew her intimately or something. It struck me as odd, since I didn't have any cousins, and there was no one around that age besides myself that would really have known her. This is my aunt's grave. I usually come here on Halloween to see her. I know it 
it probably seems weird to you, but she used to take me out when I was a kid, and this is how I deal with missing her. I explained a bit sheepishly. The boy looked mystified. His eyelids pulled apart while his jaw sat slightly agape. Hey, you okay, man? I asked him, growing a little concerned over his expression. Your Aunt Mary, she, she saved my life. She told the police where I was. Without her, I might still be in that basement tonight. He said, tears welling up in both eyes. Oh my God, it's you. I finally spit out, astonished, nearly speechless. I've been coming here every once in a while to see her. I know some of the stupider people do things to graves on Halloween, but I just want to make sure nothing happened to your aunt. Thanks. That's very kind of you to protect her. My aunt was the best. She was the nicest person you could ever hope to meet. She was my best friend. That's why I'm still here. I said, breaking down along with him. I love your aunt so much. I think about her every day. I just wish there was a way I could repay her. She died saving me. And I just can't shake this feeling that some, sometimes that I'm responsible. If I didn't get in the car with Billings, she might still be alive. It's, it's not your fault. Do you want to know something about my Aunt Mary? The boy nodded his head, wiping his tears away again. All we talked about was what happens in the next life. She believed in a lot of things, and she couldn't wait to find out what was after this life. She wouldn't want you feeling this way. I said, trying to comfort him as well as myself. Thanks, man. Okay. I'm sorry I disturbed you while you were visiting your aunt. The boy turned away, heading back toward the gates that he'd entered from. After he took a few steps away, I heard that same voice in my head when I usually talked to Aunt Mary. She didn't want him to go. I ran over toward him and hollered out, Hey, wait up a second. You never told me your name. It's Derek. Do you... Do you want to go trick-or-treating with me? I would, but... I don't have a costume. And don't you want to be with your aunt right now? On that calm night, immediately after those words left his mouth, a gust of wind picked up out of nowhere. A chilly air near Aunt Mary's grave blew the second costume I'd laid out for her, right towards us, practically draping the fabric over Derek. It's okay. I think she wants us to go together. Derek smiled and wiped the tears from his eyes for what seemed like would now be the last time. We both said goodbye and told Aunt Mary we loved her before he donned the skeleton suit and we headed for the gates. feels like we've all had at least one relative like that. But is that enough to make this tale true? 
ask yourself, could a woman really touch an object and see thoughts or events that had happened previously? Find out next week on Evil Examined. <laughs>